Hello, my dear friend. Welcome to Bible study. This is Nick Rita, your host. I'm very happy to be with you today. Thank you for tuning in. Please stay for this hour as we are opening the Bible again. And we have a wonderful uh, topic today. Your mercy reaches unto the heavens. I would like to say hello to our panel today. It's good to have with us uh, Len. Thank you for joining us. Hello, listeners. We're glad you've joined us today. It's good to have Jerry with us, too. Thank you, Nick. And uh, good morning, listeners. Great to be here again. Lijat, thank you for joining us. Thank you. That's a privilege. Brenton, welcome to the program. Thank you, Nick. I trust that as we share this subject of uh, mercy, our listeners will be blessed. Hello, Joe. It's good to have you with us today. And I'd like to say uh, thank you for um, preparing uh, for this Bible study. You are going to facilitate the discussion today. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Nick. Thank you for the welcome. Well, it's uh, really good to be able to come around uh, the Word of God and to put some time aside to meditate on the wonderful... uh, things God wants us to know. We'll maybe be able to join us just a little bit later, but uh, before that, uh, I would like to just hand it over to you, Joe. Please take us through. Thank you, Nick. Our study today is called, we've titled it, Your Mercy Reaches Unto the Heavens. Now, mercy is defined as the compassionate treatment of those in distress, especially when it is within one's power, to punish or harm them. Some definitions include grace shown to offenders. And you will find that most most dictionaries will say the same thing or very something very similar. And I believe that most people do understand the concept and the, the meaning of mercy. Something which may not be commonly known or even believed in is that mercy is one of the greatest attributes of God. There is much focus on the wrath of God and many are afraid of him. Today, I hope our discussion will give a new perspective on the mercy and enduring love of God. So please listen in. If we go back in time, there were many gods with little g, many gods worshipped. But how many of them were loving? Love and mercy might have been seen as a weakness in that time. Yet God defines himself as a God of mercy, a God of loving kindness. In fact, it is the first word God uses to describe himself in Exodus when Moses asked to see him. And I'll read it from uh, verses 6 and 7. It says, And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children of to the third and fourth generation. Now, all scripture affirms this. The psalmists, too, understand this and praised God for his mercy in poetry and song. They understood that humans have nothing in and of themselves which could save them and that our only hope was his abundant love and mercy. Today, we will be examining how the book of Psalms proclaims God's mercy and love. And we'll begin with the Psalm 136. But before we do so, Lynn, would you offer a prayer for us, please? 
as you'd like to join us, listeners. Dear Father in heaven, our loving God, our merciful God, we come to you this morning with the request that you will help us, your panel, to uh, share your word in an effective and a good way. Yes. That those who are listening might understand that your characteristics of love and mercy are always there. And I want to pray for anybody who's listening today whose life is in tatters, that uh, you will listen to their prayer and uh, help them in their time of need. We invite you to fill us with the Holy Spirit this morning that we might rightly proclaim your word today. And we pray for your blessing on all those who are hearing this program. In Jesus' name we come to you. Amen. Mm, Amen. Thank you, Lynn. Now, Psalm 136 is called a psalm of ascents, which means that it was sung as the people travelled mostly on foot to Jerusalem for the special feasts. These psalms of ascents were designed to draw the minds of the pilgrims to their God and prepare their hearts to meet him. Now, this particular psalm praises God for his boundless mercy. His mercy endures forever. In fact, every second line of of this psalm proclaims it. And I can imagine it being sung in parts, you know, whether it be men singing one part and the women singing the chorus or vice versa. But I imagine it being a lovely thing to hear as they journeyed. It also appears that the the psalm itself is divided into sections, um, each dealing with yet another reason to praise God. Let's look at what the psalm has to say about God's mercy. Jerry, how does Psalm 136 begin? Uh, Please read the first three verses and comment. What kind of introduction is this? And how is this linked to God's, um, how is God's greatness linked with his mercy? Yeah, sure. Okay, the first three verses. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, to the God of gods, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endures forever. So it's a prayer or a song of thanksgiving. And um, I think that's always a good way to start a prayer, isn't it? Um and you notice that in the previous two uh, psalms as well. Give thanks. So God's greatness, yes, is linked with his mercy for sure. As you mentioned in your introduction, Joe, that mercy is defined as the compassionate treatment of those in distress, especially when it's within one's power to harm them. And when you think of God's uh, people, the ones he chose, the one he blessed in so many different ways. And think of how often they went off the rails and turned their backs on him and followed after strange gods. How easy would it have been for God to say, you know, this just isn't working. I've got to get rid of them and start again. Now, God had the power and the right to do so, but he didn't. His plan of salvation as we see encapsulated in John 3.16, demonstrates that he gave everything he had in giving Jesus, his only begotten son, to die for us so that we, through faith in him, could inherit eternal life. 
what an e example of God's mercy, his long-suffering and grace towards us. Yeah. He so his psalm, the psalm begins with thanksgiving because God, he is good. He is good. He's the God of gods, the Lord of lords. It doesn't mean, does it, that he is one of many gods or one of many lords, although there were many gods worshipped back then. Correct. But he was he's the only God, the only Lord, only one worthy, the only true God. And he is good and he's worthy of so much praise mm. and thanksgiving. Nick, yeah. the next section of Psalm 136 directs our attention to some of the reasons for the thanksgiving. What are they? All right, Joe. Well, if we continue in Psalm uh... 136, uh, from verse uh, 4, it says here, To him who alone does great wonders, his love endures forever, who by his understanding made the heavens, his love endures forever, who spread out the earth upon the waters, his love endures forever, who made the great lights, his love endures forever. The sun to govern the day and the noon. The stars to govern the night. And as, as you said a bit earlier, Joe, this is like a beautiful song which can be sang in parts because God endures forever in everything from his creation through his redemption. And mm -hmm. I believe that's the important thing which uh, we are called to look at today, that his mercy reaches unto heavens. Because God's mercy, it's shown from his creation, as I said, through his redemption. Yes, that's a very good point. And our listeners may have noticed that in your translation, the word mercy is translated love. And the two words uh, are interchangeable. I believe they come from the Jewish word chesed, which means steadfast love, mercy. It's a, it's a, one of these words that is really difficult to translate, but is all of them. Now, it's interesting also, the focus is that his mercy or his love endures. It's a, it's a sort of a, it, you know, it could have said his omnipotence endures forever. It could have said his majesty endures forever. His supremacy endures forever. But God's mercy is what defines God and it doesn't diminish his power, but makes him feel so approachable, so trustworthy, so reliable. God is more powerful than enemies, um, than any of our enemies. And should, this should give us courage, I believe. But um, you make a good point about um, God's mercy and love. Lynn, the next section is historical, um, dealing with the Exodus and the following conquests. What does it tell us about God's mercy? All right. Well, as you said, it's um, historical. It's like a history lesson. And I can imagine as you had a large group of people, probably a choir, included, making their way in a procession to go up to the temple on a special holy day that the people might be dealing with, and the choir might um, sing a line, and then the rest of the people would respond. So I'm just going to read a couple of verses, then I'll do it um, without reading it from the Bible. 
Starting at verse 10, perhaps the choir would have sung this, To him who struck Egypt in their firstborn, and the people would have responded, For his mercy endures forever. And then the choir would sing, And brought out Israel from among them, and the people would sing, For his mercy endures forever. I would have loved to have heard that. It would have been beautiful. So here we have a history lesson in God's dealing with the people from the time when they left Egypt. The first thing is about when the angel struck the firstborn of anyone who had who did not have the blood painted on their door frames across the lintel. And then it talks about bringing Israel out from among them, crossing the Red Sea, the army of uh, the Egyptians, which was following them to get them back, was swallowed up when the, the sea enclosed again. And then they sing about how God led them through the wilderness and provided for them. And then later on, when they entered the promised land, how God had vi- uh, caused them to have victories over their enemies, name some of these. And then they would have sung about how God gave the land to them as their heritage. And each time they'd be reminded, and his mercy, his loving kindness, his steadfast love continues forever. But I don't want to leave it as a history lesson. I want to bring it up to date. Thinking about my own life in relation to this, I can see, at least in some instances, how God's mercy allowed me to um, not die, for example. There were times when I could have been killed, Uh, not by by somebody shooting me, but because of an accident or something. And all these different things, if we take time to look back over our lives, we can respond with those people who would have been in that large group, his mercy, his steadfast love endures forever. And I think about what I've done wrong. I'm so glad that God is a merciful God and has forgiven me. And I'm sure all of you on the panel could say the same thing. And the same applies to you too, listeners. God's mercy wasn't just back there with those people of Israel. His mercy continues forever, right now, with us. Mm, Good point. In every detail of Israel's history, God's steadfast love was present and endures forever. The psalm served to remind them this part, this was part of the worship of God, remembering what he had done for them. And this itself would engender heartfelt gratitude and trust for the future, something that you alluded to, Lynn. And of course, this has relevance for today, um, knowing that he continues to do the same today. However, at this point, the casual reader, you know, when they start reading, Open up Psalm 136. When once it hits the history of Israel, you know, 
taking them through the Red Sea and overcoming the various kings of the Canaanites, the modern reader might no longer see any relevance. Does it have any relevance for us today, Brenton? And how does God's dealing with historical enemies of his people assures us? What may be some modern-day equivalents? For instance, what and where is our inheritance and who is and are our enemy or enemies? Where is the wilderness, the promised land? Are there any parallels that you see that um, the modern-day reader can read and and apply to their own life? Yes, I believe there are, Joe. History is only valuable insofar as we either observe and learn from what has taken place in the past. A lot of people today are not interested in history. But if you actually um, listen to speeches, famous speeches, often they evoke uh, previous history, either of the nation of which the orator is speaking or of some other area in order to help people to understand um, the nature of um, where they've come from and where they're going. Why is it relevant today? It's relevant today because in studying the historical aspects, Joe, of what God has done, we see the consistency of God. One of the great things that's missing in our society today, I believe, we see it in the courts, we see it in various aspects of life, is consistency. And God's dealings with human beings have been consistent and are consistent even in 2024. There is a period where God grants people an opportunity for repentance, and the Old Testament brings that out very clearly. Uh, the Amorites, for instance, when God eventually sent Israel in to destroy them, they'd had 500 years to repent, 500 years to consider their ways, and then God brought judgment upon them. So in looking at uh, what Len has, has uh, Len read to us, some of the modern-day equivalents, some of the things we're dealing with today that I believe are very, very important are um, what are our enemies or who are our enemies. Number one, we would have to put at the top of the list the devil because Ephesians 6 tells us very, very clearly that we have to put on the whole armour of God in order to be able to resist the devil. Now, there's something interesting about this. The armour of God is not a, a selection from a cafeteria. <laughs> the armour of God, you either have the whole armour of God on or you don't have any of the armour of God on. You can't pick and choose what you will take and what you will use. Our wilderness, you, you mentioned that, and our inheritance. This world, I believe, is our wilderness. And Hebrews 11 brings it out very clearly in verse 13, where it says that all of those, the pantheon of heroes of the faith that are mentioned in that chapter, never received what they were looking for. And then in verse 16, it tells us they were looking for a better country. They were looking for heaven. So we are pilgrims in this worth, uh, this world. And this actually brings it out. Verse 13 brings out very clearly the term pilgrims and strangers. So where is our wilderness? Our wilderness is this earth. We don't belong here. We belong in heaven. We're only traveling through. We're passing through, as it were. And um, <clears throat> we're looking forward to the promised land. It's interesting that another of our enemies, believe it or not, is free speech. 
I believe, today. Do you realise that 90% of all universities in Australia now have policies that are hostile to free speech? So the opportunity to practice your religion, the opportunity to speak out against injustice as you see it, is being curtailed all the time. So these are some of the things we're dealing with. And as we pass through, as pilgrims and strangers, we're looking for that heavenly country. And mm. I believe that um, for his mercy endures forever is a sustaining uh, factor in God. Um, you read from Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7, right at the start of this study, this is reflecting God's character. When Moses said, show me your glory, God didn't say, um, I will really turn it on for you. You can have a look at it. He said, I will pass by and I will proclaim the name of the Lord. God's glory is his character. And I believe that that's what we need to reflect today. Mm, good points, Len. Well, I've heard a saying that goes like this. The only thing you learn from history is that you don't learn anything from history. Yeah, truly. <laughs> However, I think when it applies to us, we learn from our own experiences. Yes, we might make the same mistakes as people who went before us have made. But in our own experience, we can learn from that. And the thing that I was talking about before, from my own experience, something I've learned that's of great importance to me is that God's mercy, his steadfast love, does continue. He hasn't wiped me off. He could have. Maybe he should have. But he hasn't because he's merciful. Yeah. It's consistent, isn't it, Len? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think for the average person who may open the Bible and read this, some of the enemies that we encounter on a daily basis are, you know, habits that are difficult to stop mm. or change, yeah. adverse situations, whether it's ill health, the loss of a job. Some of the, some things are terrible and can really shake our faith. Um, some, sometimes the things that actually feel good can separate us from God and can undermine our faith because we start to um, focus on them. So we have many potential enemies out there. Uh, but in this psalm, we are called to remember how we had been led in the past and trust and praise and worship him for his power. And someone brought this to my attention yesterday. They said uh, the great one of the great evils that we face today in our world as Christians, as well as um, others, is we live in an era of instant gratification. Now, the Bible frequently tells us that we're to wait upon the Lord, which is the exact opposite of instant gratification. So um, one of the things that I'm learning personally, and uh, I'm glad Len shared his testimony with us as to how the Lord has looked after him, I'm a type A personality and I'm having difficulty learning that I need to wait on the Lord, but that's what I need. <laughs> well, waiting on the Lord is comes up a bit later in another psalm. It does. <laughs> it's good that you brought it up now. Now, Lydia, the, the psalm ends with a sort of epilogue, verses 23 to 26. Can you read and and comment? Um, and just comment with a reading and the reflection on, 
the reading of this, these words and the reflection on these texts um, of the mercies of God throughout the psalm would help us when we're feeling low. And how does God remember us in our lowly state? Okay, Joe, I'm going to read verse 23 till 26, which is the end of the psalm. Who remembered us in our lowly state for his mercy endures forever and rescued us from our enemies for his mercy endures forever. Who gives food to all flesh for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the God of heaven for his mercy endures forever. It's very interesting that this uh, appreciation and remembers of the fact that for his mercy endures forever is repeated in this psalm 26 times. Uh, it's like a reassurance for the worshippers that the Lord does not change and uh, will repeat his past favors to each generation that will come. So God remembers his people and is faithful to his covenant and grace. And uh, the belief in the Lord's enduring mercy is at the core of biblical faith, which includes joyous worship and confidence from worshipers, um, as well as uh reticence and repentance so uh, in these psalms uh, the psalm actually closes with God's universal care for the entire world for everyone so God's mercy is extended not only to Israel in the past history but to all creation even in our generation time so mm-hmm. the psalm uh, speaks of the universality of God's saving grace. God is open to everyone, exhorts the whole world in uh, to join Israel's praise to the Lord that we see it in Psalms. So it's an open door for every person. Absolutely. And also... When he, when we look at the, the, the beginning of verse 23, it says, who remembered us in our lowly state. Now, some people take that as when we're feeling low and down, that he takes note of this. And we need to remember that his mercy endures forever, that he is there for us. But you could also read that, that he is the one who the, the king of heavens, the greatest God. It says here, um, in Psalm 113, five, verses five to seven, who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth. So we have that God looking down. And of course, we've got second Corinthians eight, where it says, yet for your sake, he became poor. So we have Jesus coming down from heaven, um, so that you through his poverty might become rich. So there's such a wealth in these texts that you could mine and mine and mine forever. He remembers that we are but dust. But on the other hand, God values us very highly. Although we are nothing really, 
we are valued very much because Jesus gave up his life in order to save ours, and that's so beautiful. Yes, we are his treasured possession, not just we like the panel members. We're talking about all humanity. Of course. Yes. Jerry, because God's mercy endures forever, does that mean we can continue living how we want, um, disregarding God's will for our lives, um, continue to sin? That's a good question, actually. Um, as we've already established, God's mercy is an essential part of his character. But um, yeah, it's a good question. Does that mean we can just keep on sinning because he is so merciful and gracious? Well, there's a number of um, uh, key verses in Scripture that give what I would call the definitive answer to that question. And uh, the first one I'd like to turn to is uh, Romans chapter 6, the whole chapter. When you read through that, it talks about, Paul talks about being dead to sin, but alive to God. He says in verse 1, What shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound or mercy may abound? And he gives the answer, certainly not. Uh, Jesus said to the woman who had been caught in adultery uh, after after the accusers all, all left, he says uh, to her, are there any left? Where are your accusers? Is there nobody left? And she says, no, they're, they're not, there's nobody left. And he says, well, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, that the gospel of Christ is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. So what does he mean by that? Well, the power of God is to, to stop willfully sinning, to put it behind you. In the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, we see the phrase repeated, he who overcomes seven times, overcoming by the power that God makes available to you. Um, Jesus came to save us from our sin, not in our sin. And I'm reminded of what John the Baptist said in John chapter 1, verse 29, where he says, the next day, John, this is John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And finally, Joe, in the last chapter of the last book of the Bible in Revelation 22 verse 4 indicates that there will be a time when when God draws a line in the sand where he says enough is enough. We read there in, in verse 11 of chapter 22, he that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He that is filthy, let him be filthy still. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. God's mercy for unrepentant man comes to an end and that's really something that we need to be very um, mindful of yes god is a merciful god great in mercy he knows our condition he knows that almost like a like a compass needle points automatically to the north we have a, an inclination to automatically do things that are not in harmony with god's will yeah we call it sin, but God wants to break that cycle. Um, you know, he wants us to to uh, have the needle pointing in the other direction, and he offers mm -hmm. us that hope and that power to do so. Yeah. You'll hear many Christians these days say, oh, but we, we're under grace. Mm. We're under grace. And it's sort of almost like it's a 
an excuse or a license to live as they please. Um, mm. you know, just, um, paying their, you know, doing a little bit of good and whatever, but they can essentially live the life that they please. And I came across this text in Titus 2, verse 11, um, and 12 up to 14, which actually struck me quite strongly. It says, for the grace of God appeared, has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Now, it, that's the grace of God, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. So I've never really... It, it kind of struck me that this was the grace of God that teaches us to say no. It doesn't give us a license to say yes to what feels good or it does, you know, um, doesn't interfere. You know, I can do, I can obey God as long as it doesn't interfere with what I want, you know, but here it's telling us how we ought to live. Anyway, um, that was just, uh, uh, something that I had focused on in the last week and it um a sort of a new light came out of it for me brenton we're going to move to another psalm and this is also a psalm of a sense a psalm 130 it and is. it's also referred to as a penitential psalm mm-hmm. um now while the previous psalm praises god for his mercy um this is a different focus can you lead us through that yes Please. um we don't seem to know exactly who wrote the psalm, Joe. It, it, I don't think it's the psalm of David. Not exactly sure who wrote it. It starts out this way by saying, Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, please hear my voice or hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. When I was looking at this psalm, Joe, it was interesting. Uh, it's the wording in the first two verses is almost identical to a psalm that we have studied in a previous study here on air, Psalm 88. Uh, There's an uncanny similarity between the wording used in these two psalms, but I want to focus particularly on verses 3 and 4. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. Can I reflect on something just for a minute? before I take this up, that you said earlier on, that the difference between God's, little g, and the true God, is I have never yet come across a little g God in my uh, research that other nations worshipped and that unfortunately even Israel worshipped at times. When Israel wandered away from God, here's an interesting point. They never saw God as merciful. They even got to the stage where they are offering their own children as sacrifices. So the God that we serve is a merciful God in total contrast to little g gods who have to be appeased in the main. So with you there is forgiveness. I was reminded of Lamentations 3. Now, most people know this particular text. It is only because of the mercies of the Lord that we are not consumed. Um Some of us know very little more of that particular small book, but that is a verse that is particularly relevant. 
But in Psalm 103, it talks about um, as far as the east is from the west, so has God removed our sins from us. And where it says in verse 4, where, where you, but with you there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. I like that. It's difficult to serve a capricious God, Joe, a God who's always about to jump on you for anything you're doing. But when you recognize his mercy, his mercy doesn't, as, as Jerry has said, his mercy doesn't cover sin. It reconciles us to him and it removes sin. And I would like to see grace as an enabling agent, if I can use that way. It enables us to live a, a good life. And then the rest of this um, very small chapter, which is only eight verses, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in the word, in his word, I put my hope. Then he talks about how a watchman waits for the morning and I wait for the Lord even more than that. And then he talks to Israel. He broadens his appeal and says, put your faith in the Lord. I think, Joe, that this is a very, very good psalm but I particularly cling to verses three and four. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? Who amongst us as a panel would be able to stand if God wasn't the merciful God that he is? It's um, it's almost one's the opposite of the other. We know that God, yes. Yes. God knows of our sin. It's not like he doesn't know or pretends that he doesn't know. I think that God, when he forgives um he likes to forget, <laughs> forget, and when once those sins are blotted out, um, they should. You know, the only one who likes to remind us of our sin is the devil. If he can, if he can, if it serves his purpose to yeah. discourage yeah. us, but um, yes. we don't yeah. continue to repent of the same sin over and over yeah. and over again. Because God might have changed His mind on this and um, remembered it again. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's Joe, wonderful yeah. that he is so forgiving. Yeah. Can I add something extra? I think in this business of forgiveness, it's it's always concerned me because I have met people recently who have not learned to forgive themselves. If we accept God's forgiveness, we have to learn to be able to forgive ourselves. Otherwise, we can spend our time in self-loathing and in self-recriminations for years and never move forward as God wants us to do. He wants us to recognize that his mercy, in a sense, baptizes us. It completely dips us under and it completely immerses us in, in his grace. And that enables us to not only accept his forgiveness, but to accept that we have stuffed up, but we have learned to forgive ourselves and move on. Mm. And also this waiting on the Lord is one yes, of the waiting on the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> trust and hope uh, and an assurance that prior sin will not be revisited or co yes. continually yeah. brought to mind. Yeah. It's yeah. very, very comforting. <laughs> it is very comforting. It's a forgiveness that leaves no trace or record. Now, we let's shift to a very personal, heart-rending psalm written by David during a very difficult time in his life. It's also known as a psalm of confession, and it is God's mercy in action. Will, can you tell us a bit more about it? Yeah. Welcome, Will. Thank you. Yes, Joe, it is indeed a psalm of confession and repentance. And what an experience. Um, 
David experienced when he had uh, sinned very deeply. You know, he was guilty of murder and adultery and under terrible circumstances. And I won't go into the whole thing now, but he came to a point in his life where he was confronted by Nathan the prophet. And uh, he was told, he realized how great his sin was. And he, um, for days and for months, in fact, he was he was in a dark place as a result of his sin until at last he gained the sense of God's forgiveness. And just, I can only, well, one can read the entire psalm, but, but let me just read some of the verses here. And that's the sort of prayer of confession and repentance which many of us who realizes the damage that sins caused um, <clears throat> to our lives can pray. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take away your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. By now we pick up the earnestness of his appeal for forgiveness. And you know what? God calls him man after his own heart, which reveals now to us and to every listener, to everybody on the panel, the great love of God. No wonder Israel would repeat over and over the mercy of God reaches to the heavens. Mm, thank you. Now, David had experienced, as you mentioned, Will, a serious departure from God. And when he had been shown his grievous actions, he threw himself at the mercy of God conscious that he was deserving of condemnation and death, and that would have been his fate under Hebrew law. Yet he is forgiven and restored, and a heavy burden of guilt is lifted from him. What is true repentance, Nick? Well, that's a a very good question, uh, uh, Joe. And uh, we talked about uh, departing from God, and in this case, uh, we have our mind on David. I'd like to just say that probably David didn't intentionally thinking, oh, I will just reject God. I will depart from God. He was still, you know, in that uh, uh, routine, if you like, but he was neglecting some of the um, teachings which he uphold before. And he was uh, very tempted to do what he he did. But let me just uh, um, talk about this uh, for a moment. Uh, about repentance. What is repentance? What is true repentance? Because, you know, sometimes people you may come across that they may say, oh, sorry. Is that a true repentance? That people just say sorry? Because they can say sorry and still not uh, 
necessarily forgive you. <laughs> you know what I mean? I believe for uh, repentance, I will put it in these words, it's a profound regret for the sins done in the past. And it's a continuous avoidance to repeat them. Beautiful. I believe that's true repentance. And David, I believe, he expressed himself in this way. He deeply regretted what he did. And he was, um, you know, willing to receive the, the punishment. One thing I would like to just uh, say here in regard to repentance. I mean, first of all, repentance of what? Of sin, of course. What is sin? The definition of sin in the Bible, the only definition is that is the trans transgression of law. And then we are invited to to repent towards God uh, for the transgression of the law. But we are not to look at the law for remission of sin or for justification. Neither are we to imagine that repentance for past sin will be all sufficient. Just think of this word a little bit here. Because it's not enough, as I said. Some people may just say, oh, I repented. I believe very important is that to be saved, we must manifest the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, in God, the gracious God who will uh, forgive us when we come before him in repentance. Who was David? Was David that person who uh, committed adultery and tried to cover up by having Uriah, Bathsheba's wife, killed i don't think that was david and i think about myself and and you on the panel and all you listeners who are you are you that person who does wrong or are you somebody who desires to do what is right and good and i think this is what david is expressing that this was an aberration in his life and i think with us too we have these aberrations which are against god's will and we need to be true to ourselves and not be this kind of aberration so that's why god is willing to accept our repentance to be our true selves and not that rebel who does things wrong from time to time Good point. As we move along, um, mercy, forgiveness, and restoration fill David with joy and praise, which brings us to our next psalm. Um, Will, Psalm 103 is referred to as a hymn psalm. How does David praise God, and what are some of the reasons here for this jubilant praise? Um, as time permits, can you lead us through that and explore some of the um, elements of God's mercy and pity on his children. Together with the other psalm on uh, how 
God forgives, um, and his confession and repentance, Psalm 103 is a very good psalm for us all to remember and perhaps um, uh, memorize. You ask, what is the motivation for his singing? Well, perhaps these verses would uh, would uh, give us the answer. He says in the psalm, in verse 2, He forgets not all his benefits. He forgives all our iniquities. He heals all of our diseases and who redeems our lives from destruction. And acknowledging God's goodness is good for us uh, to to pray about uh, Joe because it is only after you have realized the tremendous relief of forgiveness of sin that you want to sing about God's goodness. You know, it's it's strange to me that uh, when I first read that psalm where it is so repeated, the mercy of the Lord reaches to the heavens, repeated so many times, I thought, and I discussed it with a, um, a music expert and said, um, to me, this seems boring. Why would they sing this repetitious thing all the time? The fact is, as Jerry has said, once you experience his forgiveness, you really want to sing about it. And acknowledging God's goodness, in verse 7, he says, The Lord is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in mercy. And then this amazing statement in verse 11. And just listen to this. As far as the heavens are as high above the earth, so great his mercy is toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west. By the way, how far is the east from the west? (laughs) (laughs) So far has he removed our transgressions from us. And then this wonderfully personal note. As the father pities his children. So the Lord pities those that fear him. You know, Joe, this tells me, this, this speaks of a man who has experienced the wonderful goodness and gracious love of our God. And uh, would that we would all get to the place where we could just praise God from our innermost being for what he has done for us. And not only that, we have even an insight into the future of what he is preparing for us. I spoke just recently with a woman that does not believe that there is a hereafter. And she said, "Who? when I die, I've had enough of this earth. I said, but just imagine what God is planning for us. And she looked at me with surprise. Um, what do you mean planning for us? It just shows you that uh, God is... Good not only now, but he's going to extend it into eternity. Yes, and there are some beautiful words there like, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction. They're such beautiful words. Um, He is definitely... um, you know, we're so prone to forgetting, aren't we, and blessing God and thanking him for for who he is and what he does for us. 
Well, I think it's time to to finish our discussion and I'd like to summarise basically what we have been discussing. And in summary, God shows mercy because he is merciful and delights in mercy. He doesn't treat as we deserve or um, or repay us according to our sin, but is long-suffering toward us. He knows we are weak and frail and longing to save us and forgive us when we are truly sorry. From the Psalms we have looked today, we can see that God's mercy and steadfast love were and are a constant throughout whatever our human experience may be. Whatever and wherever we may find ourselves, God is there. And if we, even if we mess up, and I guess it's not if, it's when we mess up, like David did, we can be sure that God is not a keeper of tallies and does not ruminate on our wrongs and failures. He longs to forgive and forget, and if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This comes from 1 John 1.9. What a God! Surely his mercy endureth forever. Amen. Lydia, would you like to lead us in prayer? Yes, sure. Gracious, loving, heavenly Father, holy, merciful, long-suffering, faithful, and compassionate, abounding in goodness and truth. You are the Lord of the lords and the King of kings. And we are coming before you, Father, to honor and glorify your holy, majestic, and wonderful name. Along the centuries you showed generations your mercy who endures forever. And we realize, exactly like the psalmist, that there's nothing good in us, that we are spiritually poor and have nothing good to offer to you. But we need your grace, Father. You need, we need your mercy and your love. Father, please forgive us and redeem us. Thank you so much for coming down to us, reaching us with your love, touching us with your compassion many times in our lives when we really needed you. Thank you, Lord, the greatest God, the only one God. Thank you for offering us an open possibility to approach you freely and privately anytime we need you because your sovereign majesty and supremacy do not change the fact that you are our gracious creator, sustainer, and father. Please create a clean heart, O God, in us in order to be able to meet you face to face one day. We praise you by acknowledging your majesty and works, and we respond to you with adoration of your goodness, mercy, wisdom, loving kindness, and faithfulness. Thank you, Father, for your amazing mercy to us despite the fact that we don't deserve it. It's the assurance of your gift, will to free us from anxiety, a, a guilty conscience, 
and the shadow of our past. It's deliverance, protection, and uh, security. Father, please help mm -hmm. us to reflect, to reflect with gratitude uh, and humility upon the grace and mercy we have received freely from you. And help us to remember always uh, your benefits and your covenant. Father, we thank you so much for everything. And we love to respond to you with love and obedience to you. Uh, in Jesus' precious and wonderful name, amen. 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 Thank you, John. Thank you so much, everyone, for your participation today. A very touchy subject, uh, and thank God that He's uh, merciful towards us all. My dear friend listening today, we'd we'll love to have you with us next time because we are going to talk about a very important uh, subject, I believe. Wisdom for righteous living. All of us, we need that. We need to have that wisdom to live a righteous life in this sinful world. May God bless you and have a wonderful walk in the footsteps of Jesus.